Jesus tells the story about the call to mission, he tells the story of the shepherd who has got a hundred sheep. One has gone missing. And so he leaves the 99 in the pen on the hillside to go looking for the one that's lost. I sometimes think this is an important image for you in your life and your relationship with Jesus. Because if you're sitting comfortably on your couch at home, feeling like Jesus is distant from you, maybe that's because Jesus is not there with you on the couch. He's out on the hillside looking for the lost sheep. And so if you want to be close to Jesus, you need to be out looking for that lost sheep with him. In the previous episodes, I've been talking a lot about discipleship. And I think we can't talk about discipleship without talking about mission. The reason is because we are called to become imitators of Christ, almost like little versions of Jesus in the world. Now, that means that our hearts have to be transformed into his likeness in terms of humility and purity and trust in the provision of God. But it also comes very centrally to this whole sense of calling. How do we take up the call of Christ? How do we follow him in his mission in the world? You know, I touched on this briefly in the last episode around vocation. But I think we need to look at this very particularly in terms of where are you called? What is the call of God on your life? Have you simply been called to a, to a generic vocation? Or are you being called to a very specific ministry in a very specific part of the world? God has created you with gifts and abilities and a whole history that means that you can understand people in ways that no one else can. Even the, the bad stuff you've gone through in your life, the, the ways that you've been hurt, that has given you an empathy, a compassion to reach out to people in a way that no one else ever could. So where is Christ calling you? What is the particular lost sheep that only you can bring back. Now, when St. Paul talks about the, the life of the Christian, in, in many of his letters, he talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit gives us gifting. And that gifting, well, there, there, is, there is a gifting which everyone receives at baptism, which is a gifting for your sanctification. But then there is a very particular gifting for ministry. And that is only going to be given to certain people if the Spirit wants you to have that gift, but also if you ask for it. If you don't ask for it, the Spirit's not going to give it to you. Now, Paul lists off many different charisms. You know, he talks about leadership, preaching, ministry, compassion, generosity, teaching. You know, it's all these different things that are used to glorify God and, and to build up the body of Christ. You know, if you were to go back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, one of the first times that it speaks about a gift of the Holy Spirit, it was a gift of craftsmanship. You know, at the time when 
God was instructing Moses in how to build the Ark of the Covenant and all the vestments and vessels for worship, God poured out his spirit on a man who was a pretty average craftsman. But the Spirit of God then supersized that gifting into something that would be truly glorifying for God. So when St. Paul talks about these gifts, he's saying that God has already given you something which at the moment might be so small and ordinary that you don't even pay attention to it. But the Holy Spirit wants to come in and supersize that natural gifting in you so that it now becomes a divinely given charism, something verging on the supernatural. So you're not just teaching in your own ability to teach, but you're now teaching with the Spirit of God, backing you up and guiding you and, and empowering you. In the same way, with, you know, with gentleness and hospitality, with ministry, caring for people and praying for people, where is God calling you into this? I was thinking recently about my parish here that I would really love to put a big sign up outside the church saying, players only, no spectators allowed. Because when I think about the call of discipleship, that kind of sums up really what St. Paul was getting at. There are not meant to be any spectators in the church. Maybe when you are first called and when you are being evangelized, that's the time you're able to sit back and be ministered to. But you can't stay in that place for very long because essential to the journey of discipleship is that you would learn how to do ministry. That every person in the church would be equipped to minister the love and the mercy of God. When St. Paul says that you are an ambassador of mercy, he's basically using this term of like, like an ambassador is someone who has been empowered with all the authority of the king or the president. or Choose your government system. When the ambassador steps into a place, he steps in with the full authority of the leader and he speaks with the authority of the leader. So St. Paul says, you are an ambassador of Christ. You're a minister of mercy. You need to discover the authority that's been given to you in your baptism. And, and I, as I say, this is an essential part of the process of discipleship because you now need to learn how to do what Jesus does. You need to learn how to pray with people. You need to learn how to speak words of encouragement, how to teach how to stand with authority in the face of lies and evil in our world. When St. Paul talks about the gifting, he talks about the fact that there are certain people who are meant to be leaders in the community in these areas. So there are some people who receive a charism of teaching, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are the only teachers. Rather, they are kind of meant to now train everybody else to also be able to teach. There are some people who will receive a particular charism to minister through prayer, but they're not meant to be the elite group and everyone just sits back and watches. Rather, they're now meant to be the ones who teach everyone else how to do that. The great problem we have in the church today is not the fact that there are not enough priests. You know, it's not the fact that we are not training our priests well enough in the seminaries, although there is a lot of room for improvement. 
It's the fact that the lay people in our church have not been empowered to minister in their own right. We, we have come from a position which is so clericalist that only the priest or only the religious have been given authority to proclaim the good news or to minister healing to people. The only way that we're able to encounter Christ is within the confines of our church buildings. We need to step beyond that. And we need to realize that it's, it's the role of the priest not to be the expert, but to be the teacher. The one who can train the lay people in how to now go into the world and do prayer ministry in the lunchroom at work. To learn how to be a minister of mercy in the workplace. If you look at some of the, the recent saints that were canonized by, by Pope John Paul II, Pope John Paul II was very clear about trying to identify lay people who had exhibited extraordinary holiness. One of the great examples was, was a doctor in Italy, a guy by the name of St. Joseph Muscati. He was a doctor, faithful Catholic, would go to Mass every day, he was obviously ministering to people in his role as a doctor. But he also led with authority to be able to minister to people's souls. The stories are told where he would fill out a prescription for medicine, but then he would also write down on a piece of paper the times for confession at the local church. Because he would recognize saying, I can heal your body but only Christ can heal your soul. And, and that's part of the problem of what you're dealing with here. That's, that's the sort of authority which, which Christ gave us. Now, now, you have to be creative to think about what that looks like in your workplace, in your family situation. But that is the call we've been given. There's a beautiful image in the prophet Ezekiel where he talks about the river that flows from the east of the temple. Now, just to explain the image, he basically talks about how to the east of the temple, east of Jerusalem, it is just this dry wilderness all the way until you reach the Dead Sea, which is obviously dead. But then the prophet has this vision of this small stream of life-giving water emerging from the side of the temple, from the eastern side. And as it begins, it's just this little trickle of water but gradually as it moves on, it gets wider into a stream and then it keeps going on further and it becomes like a river until eventually it becomes so big, it's this huge river that you simply cannot cross. But wherever the river goes, it brings life and it, life just bursts out in the desert, trees and, and plants and animals until finally this river reaches the Dead Sea and the place is now overflowing with fish and birds. I think this is a powerful image for what the church is meant to be. You know, that the Holy Spirit was given to us at Pentecost. It was given to a small group of people. And then it spread. And then it spread further. Until you've got so many millions of Christians who have been anointed with the Holy Spirit, empowered to go out on ministry and bring life into the desert. But there is one line 
in this passage in Ezekiel. And I encourage you to go and read this. So this is Ezekiel 47. After talking about how fish of every kind will be teeming and bursting forward, in verse 12, sorry, verse 11, it says, But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt. So what it basically says is where this river is flowing, life will be abundant. But if there is any place where the river stops flowing, it'll die. It'll become a swamp filled with salt. There will be no life. I think that is the image, sadly, of our church. It's our church today, but it's also our church down through history. You can, you can look at those periods in, in the history of the church where everything has gone bad and where the church has fallen apart. It's because that river was not flowing. It was not flowing in the hearts of individual Christians. It was not flowing out through their lives in evangelization and mission. It wasn't flowing outwards through the use of their charisms and their gifting. When we become spectators, the church dies. And maybe every other thing in our personal lives start to die as well. Maybe this is where marriages start to die, where families start to struggle. Once we start to be turned inwards, focusing purely on our own comfort and our own pleasure, on my needs, rather than seeing the ministry in front of me. You know, as I said in the previous episode, your marriage is meant to be a ministry. Your primary job is to lay down your life for your spouse and make them into a saint. And if, if your gifting, if your charisms are not flowing in that way, then there'll be no life. In the same way, you're meant to be pouring out your life and sacrifice for your kids, evangelizing not just with words, but in, in, in who you are. But if that river is not flowing, it becomes a swamp. Christ has left the 99 to go out looking for the lost sheep. If we want to be close to him, we need to join him. We need to be prepared to go out, take up the calling and say, Lord, here I am, send me. If you want me to go and join you in this mission field, I'm ready. <laughs>